This is the Coffee Commune podcast, where the coffee community comes to collaborate, showcasing today another of our Coffee Commune members. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Coffee Commune podcast. My name's Rehan. I'm the general manager for International Coffee Traders, one of the businesses at the Coffee Commune. Today on the show, we've got Mr. James Henderson. He's the managing partner at HLB Manjud Brisbane. It's an accounting and advisory firm based here in Brisbane. Make sure you listen to the end of the episode where James will tell us a little bit about a free financial health check that's available for members of the Coffee Commune to come and check out with the firm and with one of the team there. That's really exciting. I can't wait to hear a bit more about that. James, thank you for being here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure and I'm looking forward to our conversation. This is going to be cool. So HLB Manjud in Brisbane being an accounting and advisory firm, that sounds like quite a broad statement of what you do. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you specialize in? Yes, yeah, absolutely. The firm itself is part of the HLB network, which is a national network here in Australia. And we provide mainstream accounting and compliance services to our client base, but also have a in-depth knowledge of a number of industries and businesses where we provide our advisory services. So that might be things like understanding a sales mix, understanding customer bases, understanding benchmarks within certain industries, and just adding more information and more advice to clients so they can understand their business in the context of what they're doing, but also within the context of the industry and businesses in general. So for a business maybe that's making use of your accounting services already, why would they need advisory? Well, a lot of our clients who are in business are always looking to ensure that their performance, their business performance is as good as the next person's or even better. So we're lucky in the role we play is that we see a number of businesses within industries, but also a broad cross-section of businesses generally. So sometimes we get asked, you know, well, what sort of net profit should I be making? That's a very broad and imprecise question because it depends what you're doing. But we can generally benchmark businesses to say that they should have a net profit after tax of something like 15 to 20%. And then obviously when we start that conversation and they say, well, how do we do that if we're doing, you know, a little bit less? So again, that's how our advisory services can come together and talk them through that process and what they might be doing, be it the margins they're achieving, the prices they're charging, what their competition might be doing, et cetera. Yeah, I guess for, let's take, for example, a, a cafe owner, the biggest expenses for a cafe owner would be wages and rent. So the question that I see a lot on online chats and groups is exactly that. How much should I be making or what should my wages be as a percentage of my overall expenses? How do you tackle questions like that? Well, at the beginning, um, you mentioned wages and rent. And most businesses, those are the two biggest expense items outside of if they're um, buying inventory, but those two things are generally the things that business have to manage. So when we talk to people about rent, we make sure that they're paying what would be a market rent within where they're operating from. So we've got some data and friendly people within our 
organisation that keeps track of uh, square metre rents that are a market in southeast Queensland, and we can even look beyond there if we're required to. And then wages is all about looking at efficiencies and how we, particularly within the hospitality industry and you know, how we schedule and manage those people over a period of time to ensure we're getting our productivity, our efficiencies, and then obviously delivering what the customer's looking for in that hospitality space. It's maybe a bit of a loaded question, but what should your rent be as a proportion of your expenses, roughly speaking? I'll answer that by saying that with a lot of our business operators, and when we sit down and see how the business is performing, rent sometimes becomes a rent that helps them acquire their own properties. So if that was the case, we make sure that the rent's within market, but also achieves the other financial goal of acquiring a freehold property. But generally, rent would be somewhere around 30% of your turnover. Again, what we'd make sure is that you're paying the right market rent per square metre subject to where you're located. I think it's really cool that you have this component of your business where you can say, look, let's analyse your rent and let's make sure that you're paying the correct amounts. I'm guessing you do that for everything, not just for rent. That's right. Another cost that is relatively significant across businesses and the hospitality industry for sure is IT. We're all becoming more reliant on uh, information technology systems, making sure they're as current and as up-to-date as they can be. And again, we're seeing the IT spend just continue to creep up, not just in hospitality, but in businesses in general, and the dynamic of how IT is delivered is changing also with this thing called the cloud. Do you find some hesitancy from business owners to actually ask for help in the sense that usually, like in the context of cafe owners, since we've used that example, I find cafe owners are the marketing person, they are the the service person, they are the advertising person, they're the, they, they do everything. And so sometimes I think the feeling is that I should do it all myself. Do you find that there's hesitancy to say, I actually need help with this? I think those people first going into business and starting you know, on a blank piece of paper, for instance, because they are dragged in so many directions in terms of the responsibilities that they've got on their own shoulders, if they're not organised and they don't have a plan and a vision for what they're doing, they may be hesitant, maybe because they're time poor. But I think it's important that people understand that the financial well-being of what they're doing means that they're there for the long term and also to be able to jump the short-term hurdles. Because if you're not jumping those short-term hurdles, there will be no long-term. And I've got a great example where an existing client came to us a couple of decades ago with a blank piece of paper and they had just been recently retrenched from a multinational and said, well, I'm going to go out and do my own thing and stay within the industry. But they were very specific on what they were going to do. And we ended up selling that business in the last three or four years for $35 million. So how did he do that? He had a plan, he was organised and he treated his small startup business like a multinational because that's what he knew. And that was one of the best examples of 
someone starting a business and taking it all the way through to fruition and having a very good sale outcome. It was because they were focused, they had a plan, they treated the business like it was not a startup but a already established business with a plan and a methodology on how they were going to do it. So what are the next sort of six to 12 months or even 12 months to five years look like for your business? What's next for you guys? I suppose with businesses, be it professional services practices or coffee shop owner or any other business, what you've got to do is analyse what drives your business and then ensure that whatever's driving your business is forefront of mind, managed and uh, attended to and looked after. So our business is all about providing opportunities for the people that work in our business. Being an advisory firm, we don't sell a product, you can't touch it, you can't feel it. We deliver it through our own individual and personal interactions. So when we find good people who work with us, we want to make sure that those people have the opportunities that they want to have with our firm and with our our business. So we always sit down and talk to those people every six months formally and, and informally as we do our work. So where we see that we have people that we want to invest in and we see them investing in ourselves, we will continue to look for those opportunities for those people because at the end of the day, that's our business. It sounds like you have a lot of experience in this field and in this industry and you guys have been doing this for a long time. And it sounds like you're really putting people first more than anything else. That's our business. We talk to people. Communication is extremely important. The delivery of that advice can only be done person to person. I know you can put it in writing, but at the end of the day, we've all got to interpret what we're saying and what we're meaning and how we make a difference with that advice to ensure that that advice is received and acted on in the best interests of our clients. So what's sort of the biggest problem that you see in your industry? And if you could solve it, how would you solve it? Well, I touched on a little bit before, but attracting and retaining the best people is probably our industry and by subset, our firm's biggest challenge, uh, certainly in this, I won't say post-COVID environment because we're still in it, but in the environment we find ourselves in today. The universities aren't producing as many graduates as they used to. We've got less of a talent pool coming to our country. So we're in a little bit of an environment which we haven't seen that much of before in the last 20 or 30 years. So with a smaller pool of people, a smaller pool of talented people, our biggest challenge is to ensure that we can offer an attractive workplace that delivers what the talented people and all people are looking for to be successful. So one, to attract them, and then two, to make sure that when they're within our industry, our profession and our firm, those people feel like what they were looking for is a challenge and it's going to keep them engaged and it's going to deliver to them the career and the career opportunities that they want within our accounting and advisory profession. 
I think it, it's a bit of an interesting one. Australia being so isolated, it kind of worked in our favor a little bit to isolate ourselves and protect ourselves from COVID to some extent. But now we're also feeling the other effects of the isolation by not having people coming in. So what's sort of a common mistake that you see or a common problem that a, someone like a startup might have? All startups and not just startups, but we'll talk about them in particular, have to have a plan and a business model and understand what they're doing with both. Mm. So the business model is within the plan, but the plan is going to address, well, who are our customers? Where are we operating? Who are our suppliers? How are we going to supply? They've got to go through a checklist of probably a dozen points and do a very, very detailed analysis that can be also modelled financially because, as I said earlier, there's no point planning for the long term if you can't deliver in the short term. So we help people run through the models, run through their plans, challenge their ideas, challenge what they think their costs and expenses might be, challenge them on where the demand for their product service may be, and then at the end of that process, we know we've got a robust plan going forward that has a reasonable amount of chance of success with that plan because you've probably read the statistics, you know, one in three businesses don't sort of get past 12 months. And a lot of the reasons for that is because we we think we've had a great idea, we think we're going to make a million dollars, but at the end of the day, there's got to be hard, fast financial facts and reasons for what we're doing, coupled with an analysis of a marketplace and et cetera. So startups might struggle with putting a real solid plan down on paper. Do you think that's because they don't have the ability to do it or because they're concerned about the numbers being confronting? Could be a little bit of both, but it'll come back to the individual operator or owner. It's not easy to be in business, and I'm not trying to turn anyone off that, but it's not easy. And you have to sacrifice and you have to be so energised to get up the next day after the next day after the next day to do what you're doing because you'll find times where things won't go according to plan or there'll be a curveball thrown to you, might be an employee, might be a supplier, could be a more, more than likely a customer, and you've got to have the resilience and the intestinal fortitude to get up and go through those hurdles. So that's not in a plan, <laughs> that's not in a financial analysis, that's in the person. And when you're looking at startups and even more successful businesses, it's about management and it's about the people that drive what's happening in those businesses. Certainly in the listed share market area, people invest in management and people who are leading the organisation, no different to small business. So for a business that has created a plan and has a bit of a roadmap for themselves, how often should they be reviewing that or checking in with their plan and what needs to happen if the plan needs to change? What are the sort of signs that the plan needs to change? Well, I think you'd be reviewing the business plan initially as often as you need to ensure that it's a guiding light on where you want to go and then 
formally review it, again, a little bit as required, but at a minimum within three years of the time you, the first formal plan. So it's as you're going, sometimes people just need reassurance or rethinking of what they think they were going to do because, again, there will be situations and circumstances that arise that will maybe change the plan or upgrade it or just review it. So I think it's as often as you need to within a three-year period but formally look to review the plan within three years or if there's a significant event that would question the validity of the plan in that period of time. So what kind of data do you need to bring to a review like that of the business plan or the financial models? Well, you would be starting with with my sales or income. What does the market look like in relation to what I want to start or what I want to do? Because if you don't have, you might have a great idea or a great position or, or something like that, but at the end of the day, if there's no market there, well, there's no point in even picking the plan up. Now, having said that, markets are more sophisticated these days because obviously there's a bricks and mortar type market, but then there's our online market too. So, and that's where a lot of growth is is happening where anyone probably under the age of 40 is looking at uh, online marketplace. And we have a number of clients in that space and it's amazing the exponential growth in, in what they're doing. So, they've identified there is a market and it's being delivered on an online platform. So that's where you'd start and then you've got to understand if it's a product, what's my, what are my margins? Because at the end of the day, if you're not making a margin, doesn't matter how much you're selling, <laughs> you're not going to go very far in terms of financial success. And then it's just breaking down all the other inputs into your business because you you know how you're going to price things, you know how you're going to deliver them, i.e. sell them, and then what's it going to cost me to bring the product or the service to where I can find a customer again and again and again. So if I'm online, rent's probably not an overly big uh, consideration, but if I'm looking to open a dozen hospitality venues, rent will be very important. So um, again, what's the plan? What are the financial drivers, both income and expenses? Then the other major consideration that I haven't touched on is capital because capital is important. You know, is it mum and dad? Is it a friend? Is it a bank? Is it yourself? So the whole question of capital is very important. I haven't touched on that in depth because that could be another I think you could do a whole like a masterclass on on capital. That would be a cool event to do, like almost in person. We bring like twenty people and you know, like, hey, let's uh, let's let's do a masterclass on managing capital or raising capital. That could be cool. That'd be a cool event to do one day. So we've spoken a lot about the advisory part of your business and how you really specialize in that. What are the other range of services that you offer? So for an advisor and accounting firm such as ours, we offer all services that we believe would be relevant for businesses and people in business. So we've got our, from our bookkeeping, our tax return preparation, our tax compliance, our tax consulting, to our audit and risk assurance, to our risk and restructuring, 
to our business consulting and to our wealth management. So across probably eight to nine service lines, we find that the clients that we're servicing find that those services fulfil the majority of their financial needs. Okay, awesome. So what's the best way for businesses or people to get in contact with you? Well, we've obviously got a, a website, HLB Man Judd Brisbane. We're based in, in the city, so we're fairly centrally located. We do visit a lot of our clients' premises because we find that extremely beneficial to understand what they're doing and where they're doing it. But through the website or you could either, you know, phone our phone line or send an email and we'll certainly have someone ring you back or reply to your email. So we'll make sure to link all of those contact details in the show notes. For members of the Coffee Commune that want to get in touch, can you tell us a little bit about a special package that you've put together for them? Yes, for sure. We've put together a package where we'd be happy to spend an hour free of charge with any of the members to do a financial health check with them, which would cover a whole range of items within that time period to ensure that what they're doing is in line with the way we think they should be performing in the stage of business they are. And also would touch on some of their personal circumstances to ensure that they're well protected and um, in an asset protection sense. So within an hour, we'd do a questionnaire of probably 24 questions to tick off and understand that they're, they're either need a second opinion or that they're doing everything right. That's awesome. I think that sounds like a really valuable package. I think there's a little bit of a perception, at least from my point of view, that getting financial advice is expensive and that it's hard for a startup business to get a financial advisor. We've got a startup package, which helps ensure that the financial cost is not prohibitive in year one, two, and three. James, thank you so much for being part of the show. It's been awesome talking to you. It's great talking to you too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Coffee Commune podcast. Remember to subscribe and rate this show wherever you're listening.